0: you're listening to detroit today on 1019 wdet i'm steven henderson and as always thanks for tuning in author jeffrey eugenides was born here in detroit so it's not surprising that two of his most noteworthy novels middlesex and the virgin suicides take place here in the metro region Middlesex won the Pulitzer Prize in 2003. And many of, many of us know The Virgin Suicides not only as a novel, but also as a movie adapted by director Sofia Coppola and starring Kirsten Dunst as one of the ill fated sisters growing up in the 1960s. The Virgin Suicides also turns 25 this year. Eugenity's work is maybe best understood through the lens of complication complication of identity, complication of self, complication of sex and love. And gender. As much as his novels do that work, his short stories also delve deeply into these questions in shorter, but sometimes more piercing ways. Eugenides is going to return to Detroit this week to celebrate the anniversary of the Virgin Suicides. Page's bookstore in Detroit is going to host him at the Wayne State University Community Arts Auditorium at 6 p.m. on October 24th. It is free and open to the public. I have to say up front that uh, they've got RSVPs to fill the auditorium at this point, but you could still show up and get seats if they are Available, Jeffrey Eugenides, welcome to Detroit today. Good morning. Yes, uh, it's good to hear your voice. Uh, let's start with the Virgin Suicides. All right. Is it strange to think about this novel being 25 years old? That's that's pretty mature.
1: I, I, I guess it is. Um, it doesn't seem that so much time has passed since the, <laughs> since the writing of it i guess because i have to talk about the book a lot <laughs> and it's just the way the way it is but when you write a book especially your first book um, you don't have in, in mind that 25 years later you'll be on the radio talking about it, no.
0: Right. Uh, uh, talk about the writing of that book and the characters, the story. Uh, was that the experience uh, that you had growing up here in Detroit? And there's so much about that novel that seems very personal. Uh,
1: yeah, it was not it, it wasn't. It wasn't. Um, you know, before writing The Virgin Suicides, I... I Started writing the book around the age of 29, something like that. Finished it in my early 30s, and before that, I'd tried to write about a lot of different places, maybe places I didn't know that well. And um, some some of my fiction was set in Detroit, but a lot of it was 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 sort of a, a Nowheresville. Um, and when I started writing *The Virgin Suicides*, though, the story at, at the core of the book was something um, I, I invented and and um, made up. Based on something I heard, but not something I experienced at all. Um, it was the first time I, I wrote about Detroit. I wrote about Gross Point. I wrote about my neighborhood, and it really changed changed my writing. It, it actually was the first thing I wrote that anyone was interested in, <laughs> because you know suddenly I was in possession of a lot of knowledge. I didn't know that much about the world. I I didn't, in some respects, know very much about myself. But I, I knew my street. I knew the families on my street. I knew my family. I knew my friends. And and suddenly, when I when I turned my attention to home, um, I I had something you know to 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 tell other other people. And and the atmosphere came back. The history came back. All the all the feelings of those times came back.
0: Hmm. The, 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 I've often heard it said that you write best what you know best. Uh, as an author, as a journalist, uh, all, all all kinds of Writing, I think, uh, has power when it's written from that space of familiarity. Uh,
1: I agree. I agree, and I disagree to that. I think you always have to have find the personal connection to your life. Um, Gabriel Garcia Marquez said, "You always have to find the the invisible f- tendril that connects to your personal life in order to write something." But. I find it tedious to only write about autobiographical elements or write about what happened to me. I, I like having a fictional remove, but at the same time, you can't make that too extreme because then you lose touch um, with what you're writing about. So it's a combination of letting the world sort of flow through your own blood system hmm. um, and, 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 and make it your own while, while keeping the imagination alive.
0: How did you find out that The Virgin Suicides was going to become a film?
1: It was actually a long process. The the rights were sold early on. A number of people tried to make it, um, and there were a few scripts written. And then one day, I was living in Brooklyn at the time, long enough ago that that one had an answering machine. I came home and listened to my messages, and there was a a message from Sofia Coppola saying that she wanted to meet me and talk about making the the film. And um, she had... Done something that her father Francis Ford Coppola told her not to do, never to do, <laughs> which was she had already written a screenplay for the for the movie, even though she didn't have the rights. Um, I subsequently met her um, and, and liked her, and the rights became available. And then when when she got the rights, very everything happened very quickly. She put together the cast and and raised the money, and suddenly the movie was being made.
0: And and what was your reaction to that rendering of the story? Uh, did, did you feel like, uh, it was true to what you wrote? Did you feel like it was true to the ideas that, uh, that powered that story?
1: I, I did. I mean, Sophia loved the book. That's why she made the movie. That's why she wrote the screenplay precipitously, um, and so she was never trying to violate the, the atmosphere, the principles of the, of the story of the book. She wanted to make it. That, that said, when you take a book and you render it into sim- cinematic form, it changes utter- utterly. There's so many things that you can't do in a movie that, that you can do in a book and vi- vice versa. I'll just give one example. Mm-hmm. The, the, narr- the narrator of The Virgin Suicides is a collective narrator of middle-aged men recalling their adolescence. It's a we narrator. Um, and you can't really locate who's telling the story. It's, a, it's kind of a, a choral narration. That is impossible to render in, in cinematic form, so Sophia used Giovanni Rabisi as, as, the, as the voiceover, and it sounds in the film as though one boy is telling the story, but you know, the weird thing of, of, of the book, and I think the unique thing about the book, is that you can't tell who's, who's telling you the story. The voice kind of comes from on high, from, sure. a, from a very low, low viewpoint.
0: Hmm. Uh, let's talk a little about Middlesex, which uh, won the Pulitzer Prize in 2003. How different was the process of writing that novel from writing The Virgin Suicides? How differently did your background here in Detroit maybe play uh, into the writing and the power of the writing in that
1: novel? It was a, a lot different. With The Virgin Suicides, the book rides on the voice. I was, cons- you know, just thinking about the language— and the the sound of of the tone of the book, and in a sense, I, I wrote that that music all the way through the writing of the book. It's not a terribly complicated book in terms of plot. Mm-hmm. In fact, the first paragraph tells you what's going to happen, and the the, the book has to surprise the reader having having divulged its contents. Um, with the with the with Middlesex, I was teaching myself how to plot, and I was it's an enormous story. It begins in 1960, goes back to 1922 proceeds all the way through the generations and and decades back up to 1960 and and actually into the 1980s. Um, Much of the story deals with the history of Detroit. Um, And I had to do a lot of research to find out what happened in the city before I was born. (laughs) Of course, I knew, you know, I know it from 1960 on, but what happened in 1920? What was Detroit like in 1932? What were things going on then? And in that way, I sort of learned a lot about um, my parents' lives, my grandparents' lives and and, and the people you know who, who were old who, who didn't really tell me so much about, about their childhoods. I started to have a, a sense of what, what it was like to live in Detroit mm-hmm. um, when it was when it was rising, when it was first gaining population and becoming you know what was at some one point the fourth largest city in the country. Yeah.
0: Okay, we're going to take a quick break, and when we come back, we're going to continue our conversation with author Jeffrey Eugenides. We're going to continue talking about his writing, his novels, we'll talk a little about his essays, and we're going to talk a little about Detroit, growing up here in the Detroit area in the 1960s and 70s. Stay with us for more Detroit Today. You're listening to Detroit Today on 1019 WDET. I'm Stephen Henderson, and as always, thanks for tuning in. My guest is author Jeffrey Eugenides. He is the author of the Pulitzer Prize-winning novel Middlesex, also The Virgin Suicides, which turns 25 this year. He also has a collection of stories, fresh complaint, that is being newly released in paperback. He is going to be in town tomorrow to celebrate the 25th anniversary Of the Virgin Suicides. That event is at Wayne State University in the Community Arts Auditorium at 6 p.m. It is free and open to the public. They already have enough RSVPs to fill that auditorium at this point, but if you show up uh, and other people don't, you may still be able to get a seat. Uh, I want to talk a little bit about uh, a quote that I came across reading uh, about your essays. Last year, the Guardian newspaper in London quoted a 2005 essay you wrote called "Great Experiment" as saying, "quote One's country was like oneself. The more you learned about it, the more there was to be ashamed about." Can you cast that statement forward to today and think about all the things that have happened since 2005? Do they make that more or less true?
1: Well, that that um, line comes from a short story, actually, so it's part uh, of right. the point of view of of the character. Um, the, I, I, I can talk about it. I, I wrote Great Experiment um, when I was living in Chicago, 2005. Um, and I don't, you know, I don't work in the financial sector. I don't know um, what's going on in the economy more than anybody else. But as I was walking around walking my dog in those years, I, I just noticed everyone seemed to be d- driving a Range Rover. And I would go <laughs> to dinner and I would talk to somebody's not, not incredibly bright husband who seemed to be making a killing and doing you know um, our real estate investment trusts and everyone was making tons of money and I couldn't understand how it was happening um, and I, I realized you know sort of slowly that we were in an economic bubble right. um, and so I thought about that and I I, I thought well what, what if you you know are, are not are not cashing in on this what if you're one of these people who wanted to be in this case a poet and you've you've, you've lived your life and tried to be an artist, and and you get older, and and you start needing, you know, to raise your kids, and, and you don't you don't have any money. Would you be? What would happen to you? And in, in the case of that story, the the man is driven to take up a, a life of a life of um, white collar crime. So th- that's that's what the story's about. At the same time, he's reading um, because of his job, de Tocqueville's um, uh, Democracy in America, and he's being put in touch with. Uh, de Tocqueville's description of of America at its origins, what right. it was like, um, and one of the things De Tocqueville talks about is the the equality of condition that the original American uh, v- citizens had in terms, of at least, the white population. There there wasn't as much um, variation in terms of wealth; everyone had about the same amount of money, um, and he thought d- democracy depended on that. So, mm. here's you know just another way to to deal with this theme of of income disparity. Um, and, and the kinds of things in terms of a, of a short story that it'll cause characters to do and people to do.
0: Mm-hmm. When did you start writing? What was it that uh, drew you to this work? Well, like
1: everybody in, in school, I, I, you know, they would have us write stories now and then. I remember being in, at Trombley Elementary School in, in Gross Point mm-hmm. Park, and they would give us the first half of a short story and tell us to finish it. And I, I, I remember loving doing that. Trying to come up with the ending of a, of a story. So early on, I decided to be a writer. By the time I was fifteen or sixteen, um, you know, in high school in 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 Detroit.
0: Mm-hmm. And how did you know that long form fiction ultimately was the space that you wanted to occupy as a writer?
1: Um, I guess I just I decided. Early, I'm pretty indecisive about most things in my life. I'm very indecisive about what i what I write in in fact i I work on three books at once trying to figure out which which one to do. <laughs> I can never decide where, where where to live. But the one decision I made that was firm was that I wanted to write. I liked writing, I liked prose i I liked the uh, the immersion that that you get from from a reading experience so early on you know that was that was my thing and i never really second guessed it yeah
0: and you you come up with uh, a class or a group of writers uh, that also i think uh, have very notable work but also very notable approaches to to, to the work uh, can you talk about some of your contemporaries the people that you sort of uh, feed off of and who feed off of you and and the work that has come out of those relationships?
1: Well you tend to get grouped chronologically um, with, with people <laughs> right. and I guess that make, that makes sense. Um, Nabokov said the famous line that um, novelists are, are the animals and, and, the, and the critics are the zoologists. So in, in, in that case we, we don't know what our properties are like. We don't know w- what we're like and we, we can't say. But of the people who um, you know are around my age, Whose, whose work um, I, I read with pleasure obviously Jonathan Franz and, mm-hmm. and, and the late David Foster Wallace are, are people I I read and and and, and learned from but it's you know I also will learn from Javier Marias you know the Spanish novelist who is older than I am or or Tolstoy you know so <laughs> you never know um, where you're going to figure out um, you know what? What you need. In fact, just yesterday, I won't. I won't mention the the writer because it would be it would be unkind. But I I I, I thought I wanted to um, check out something that I might you know might help me with my writing. And I, I went across the city and got this person's book, and I so disliked it. That what it did was kind of reconfirm that what I what I was doing was was correct. I, but he did not want to write <laughs> like, like, like that writer. So sometimes it's a negative influence that helps you. Uh, there
0: have been some critics who've suggested that when you wrote the marriage plot, uh, that you were thinking of your friend David Foster. Wallace. No, yeah, I know.
1: It's a it's a it's a it's a a rumor. It's, <laughs> it's, um, they, I put a ban- David was alive when I was ri- writing that, that book, and um, the only correspondence was that I, I had a bandana on the character, and he chewed tobacco. And th- those, <laughs> and then when he, you know, when he tragically committed suicide, and so much attention was was brought to him and his circumstances, and he, he was just looming even larger than, than he did in life. Um, people thought that it was somehow ab- about him, but you know, the book was begun. Long before that, I certainly wasn't you know, intended to publish it. I, I thought he would be alive, and it wasn't going to be about him. Um, so that that's just uh, not not it's true. It's speculation. People, it's speculation, and <laughs> the, the bandana really signifies him so 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 clearly that if you put a bandana, I guess even on a dog at this point, people will think that it might be. David <laughs> it's David to Foster Wallace, Wallace right?
0: right. Uh, what about uh, growing up here in Detroit in the '60s and? 70s. What was the city like for you and your family? As I said, you were born here in Detroit, <clears throat> but your yeah. family moved to Gross Point uh, when you were young, correct?
1: That's right. My my father was born in Detroit to, to Greek immigrant parents, um, and my mother came up from Kentucky as a as a young girl. So they lived in Detroit in in the my father since the 1920s, and my mother since the Depression. Um, as did and you know as did my, my other grandfather. So there was a long history of being in Detroit. I was born in Indian Village um, and was there as a, as a baby. And then by the time I was four or five, um, we were in, in Gross Point Park, just a few blocks from from the city limits of, of Detroit. So my formative years were spent in Detroit or right next to it. Um, and I remember as a kid what the city was like. Hmm. At its at its height in terms of population and in industrial might and, and wealth, um, and but most of my childhood, you know, preceded in more more difficult times. Obviously, the the difficulties in the nineteen sixty seven, and then you know, white flight, etc. Um, my my memories are of a city becoming smaller, less less populated, of of buildings being. Abandoned. my, my grandfather's had a bar on, Je- on Jefferson Avenue
0: hmm.
1: and I remember seeing it operating and then I remember it closed, then I remember it torched and then I remember it bulldozed. Wow. so that's that's sort of what my my childhood memories were like. and because I was a kid, I thought, this is normal like everything ev- this is what happens in, in in life. things are you know impermanent. Which is true. It was a it was a Buddhist lesson that I learned about <laughs> seven years old on East Jefferson, um, but but uh, it was you know it was a strong thing to um, to confront when you're when you're young and and life seems to you know be before you. You see everything kind of not ending, but things in, in extreme difficulty.
0: Sure. Uh, have you spent much time? In the city lately, yeah, and yeah, I was there last June. The things that are that are different uh, and and moving in a different direction. What's your impression?
1: Yes, yeah, I I, um, I was there for my 35th uh, high school reunion last June mm-hmm. and saw you know, all the good things happening downtown. We had a, a dinner downtown at, at a, a you know. Modern modernist restaurant full of <laughs> glass, and I saw all the all the people. And we walked around and got the the spirit of the place. I mean, it feels at least down the downtown area feels completely transformed from um, when when I was just going off to college. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, Detroit is a vast a vast city um, square in terms of square miles, and, and a lot of it is um, is not revived to the to the That's extent of downtown, right? right. Yeah. But um, but I only saw good things happening downtown, yeah.
0: Yeah. Does the city remain much of an inspiration for your work? It uh, does.
1: It does. Yeah, I'm one of those writers who seems to have to come home in order to to go forward, like Philip Roth with Newark or, or James Joyce with Dublin. I, I just know the this, know this city or I, I like to to write about it. I don't always write about what's happening now because I don't live there, though I think I'm capable of doing so with, with some visits and, and talking to people. But... I, I just know when I set something in 1970s Detroit <laughs> that uh, you know I'm I'm on firm firm ground and yeah. it does something to my uh, imagination. It opens it up and and the emotions kind of. Come back, and that's that's how you write.
0: Yeah, uh, I'm always reluctant to ask authors this, but but yes, but I, I do. I'm not writing anything anymore. You'll never, I'll never publish another <laughs> right, book. Is right. it going to be that? Uh, no, I was going to say, what are you working on? <laughs>
1: yeah, well, it's going to be about Detroit again <laughs> Is in the seventies. I'll tell you that much. Yeah.
0: Wow. Uh, and and are you? Doing that now? Or are you thinking about it? Are you close? No, I'm. I'm doing it. I yeah. have
1: hundreds of pages that don't fit together, so that's my problem <laughs> usually.
0: Yeah. Is that how? Is that how the books always come together? Yeah, for you? it's not.
1: It's a chaotic process. Um, it, I wish I had a, a method or some kind of stable way to do it. It's. It's not that way. I work with a lot of self doubt. I throw out <laughs> hundreds of pages, get a different idea. I think a brighter idea, and I charge in that direction, and then I rethink it. So. It's not. It's not a. It's an ugly kind of way to do.
0: And is it a solitary experience for you, or are there are yeah, there other God. people? Yeah. Thank God. Thank God, it's a solitary. <laughs> you don't drag <laughs> anyone else into it. No. No. Yeah. No one else. <laughs> the carnage is limited to me. Um, so that's good. Are you still writing three books at once? Right now, a... I
1: am. I have three different ideas, and there. I have a you know many pages of each of them, and I'm trying to stick with the one. Wow. Um wow. Which usually, at some point, does does happen. It's in the early stages early by early I mean you know about 150 pages right, each of these right. books or but something. that's almost
0: i would imagine like choosing among your children right you've got three different things going on and how do you decide well, which I one well i would hope
1: i only have one child but i would hope paternally <laughs> i would be able to love all of them i've i've compared it a little bit to to literary infidelity i mean it's it's sort of like you know all these other options you can always go and they, right. they tempt you but you should you should stay with with the one the one book that you're married to.
0: Wow. Okay. Jeffrey Eugenides, author of the Pulitzer Prize winning novel Middlesex and the Virgin Suicides, which turns 25 this year. Thanks very much for being here with us on Detroit Today.
1: Thank you. Good Mm -hmm. time.
0: Uh, And again, Jeffrey Eugenides will be in town tomorrow to celebrate that 25th anniversary of the Virgin Suicides. The event is at Wayne State University in the Community Arts Auditorium. It is hosted by Page's Bookshop. It is sold out in the the sense that uh, it is free and open to the public, but there are enough RSVPs to fill the auditorium already. But if you show up... Uh, You may be able to get a seat if others don't take it. Uh, Pages will also have signed copies of his books after the event. That's going to do it for us today on Detroit Today. I'll be back tomorrow. I hope you will, too. Detroit Today is produced by Laura Weber-Davis and Jake Neer. The program director is Joan Isabella. Our technical director and engineer is Matthew Trevethan, And our associate producer is Gus Navarro. Detroit Today's theme song was composed by WDET's Sam Bobian. This is 101.9 WDET, Detroit's public radio station, a community service of Wayne State University. We'll see you tomorrow.